You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello and welcome along to episode 99 of Attaboy Clarence. So in ice cream terms, this episode is a lump of soft serve on a cone with a flake. And you have no idea how long I've been dying to describe this show as precisely that. Welcome along anyway. Welcome especially to Patrick Graney, who really wants a Canterbury. So here you are, Patrick. Have a statabury. <laughs> What a thrill for you there, Granny, and welcome to being a patron, sir. Much appreciated. And how about you, Emma Price, and your very handsome young son, Oscar? Hello to you both. You're both adorable. So here is a candy manterbury. Who can take a rainbow, wrap it in a sigh, soak it in the sun and make the strawberry lemon pie? Cause he mixes it with lava, makes the world taste good. Happy New Year for you. And for the rest of you lucky souls in search of a soothing salve for your soul, or even if you want to be completely masculine in your presentation these days, how about your newest summer anthem earworm? E.G. for His Excellency, the top name in toiletries for men. H.E. Men feel good. H.E. for His Excellency. Completely masculine in presentation. H.E. for His Excellency. Nice, right? I'm thinking you might be slipping that one onto the old record player of an evening when you bring a date home. You want to get low down? You're so welcome. Or you could possibly chuck this thing on. It's Sir Lancelot and West Indian families. People in the West Indies have a peculiar propensity. People in the West Indies believe in raising large families. Every time you visit a friend, I mean you see children without end. Now the thing that has me appalled is that they find time for anything else at all. Every time you go to a dance, believe me, friends, you're taking a chance. Cause every girl you see wants to raise a large family. You politely ask for a set, there and then you'll start to regret. For more than likely she'll start to cry, honey, let's be fruitful and multiply. I don't know what it can be causing such amazing vitality. The balmy tropical air or the invigorating atmosphere. Maybe it's the crab callaloo, the pond plantain and cascadoo. But whatever it is, you will agree West Indians have vim and vitality. One night in Puerto Rico, I met an old Yankee gigolo. And he told me quite candidly that since coming to the West Indies, he was having such a glorious time, drinking whiskey, old rum and wine. The old bird was near 93, but he had started his second family. People all now beware, when in the West Indies have a care. Don't eat too much callaloo, breadfruit, plantain, and cascadoo. 
I will be like the man I know that had a fool 26 or so. And when I saw them, me like a fool, asked the man if this was a private school. Fabulous. You have to love the man's skill at rhyming. Too many syllables in your sentence? He'll make them fit. Just to calm down. I love the fact that the question pot has been all of a sudden refilled with brand new queries. So let's dig into that particular pond of inquisitive tadpoles. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. First question here is definitely not from Ben Race, the film director. Not Ben Race writes, Hi, Adam. Long-time listener. First-time questioner. I was just catching up on Attaboy and thought I'd throw a question into the pot. Whilst your podcast deals with film from the classic Hollywood period, I was wondering if there are any films from recent years that you've seen that you would recommend. Also, do you know any good stretches to prevent shin splints? Best, Ben. Well, not Ben. I'm definitely a fan of the old lying quad stretch. That's a quad stretch that doesn't tell the truth. As for modern films, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I really liked Black Panther. In fact, I like all the Marvel movies. I do actually look forward to them. I cried my eyes out to a monster called... I had a great time watching Bohemian Rhapsody, and despite everyone telling me not to enjoy Green Book because it was very wrong to do so, I actually enjoyed Green Book. I like a good cry, not Ben. Oh, and I saw a movie called The Film With No Name that I thought was very good too. Next question is from Corey Wood, who writes, Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast, sir. Well, thank you very much for the compliments, sir. Corey, that's an amazing name. I have recently burned through your entire back catalogue of episodes and became a patron, so I can still enjoy your lovely shows. Well, thank you, Corey. What a smart, intelligent human being you are, sir. My question is this. As a fan of Golden Age cinema and Golden Age biopics, how about an Attaboy episode based around Hollywood eating itself, such as Man of a Thousand Faces with Cagney as Lon Chaney, Yankee Doodle Dandy and the Seven Little Foys, and others that maybe don't feature Cagney? Are there any? Again, thank you for your sterling work. I look forward to the next Shadows with bated breath. P.S. I love your Karloff voice. Well, thank you, Corey. I like Karloff's voice better than my own, so I might answer your question as Karloff. I did all the movies you mentioned in that list in the Bullets and Blood series, sir. So you can check out that series of shows and hear all about them. If you mean review some old biopics, then I think it's a marvellous idea, and I shall put it on the old slate. And remember, if you have a question and you'd like the thing answered, just go to www.attaboyclarence.com and scroll down the homepage. Thank you. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Just want to give a shout out to a new podcast I started listening to the other day. It's called Podcast Shakespeare. Really funny stuff. Really witty. Very well researched and has totally reinvigorated my love for the bard. Thank you to Jeff Rath for recommending that to me. And if you like your Shakespeare, do go on over and give it a whirl. Podcast Shakespeare. Thou hast a new subscriber. Into each life some rain must fall. But too much is falling in mine Into each heart some tears must fall But someday the sun will shine Some folks can lose the blues in their hearts But when I think of you Another shower starts Into each life Some rain must fall But too much is falling In mine 
Into Each Life, Some Rain Must Fall. From the Ink Spots and Ella Fitzgerald. Special, that one. Really want to tell you about a cool little movie I found last week. Young Ideas from 1943. Look at this cast. Susan Peters, Herbert Marshall, Mary Astor and Richard Carlson. Setup is very simple. A world-famous author of scandalous fiction, Joe Evans played by Mary Astor, meets and falls in love with a very stuffy college professor, Michael Kingsley, played by Herbert Marshall. She promptly disappears off into obscurity to live out a quiet life away from the world, but the world aren't ready to let Joe go yet. Pittsburgh too? Yes. No. Josephine Evans failed to appear for lecture. Stop. Had to refund $4,200. Stop. Lawyers let her follow. Stop. Buffalo. Cleveland. And now... Pittsburgh. She can't do this. Where is she? The only two people who seem able to drag Joe out from this social hibernation are her two children, Susan and Jeff, played by Susan Peters and Elliot Reed, who concoct a scheme to ruin their mother's new romance by enrolling in the college and gradually turning her stuffy husband onto the idea that their mother is the real-life inspiration for her sordid book. Well, couldn't she have left out some of the details? For example, that incident between Celeste and the chestnut man. Oh, that was the time Mother fell for that cabinet minister. Oh, yes. And the chestnut man got jealous. <laughs> Did you say Mother? Well, yes. Didn't you recognize her? That's who Celeste is. Uh, several of the characters are autobiographical. Uh, you remember Marie and Yvonne? They're both Mother, too. Jeff, maybe you shouldn't. Michael might not understand. I certainly don't. Even if she were writing about herself, why should she be all three characters? Oh, well, she had to split herself up. She said people wouldn't believe one woman could cover so much territory. It's a breezy little affair, and it's directed by Jules Dassin, of all people, the man who'd go on to all kinds of fame as a purveyor of noir thrillers a few years after this. This is absolutely nothing like his later film, so don't go in expecting any kind of stylized drama. This is as light as they come. In fact, it's so light that I did wonder for a while if I was enjoying it. I like the settings. I always like a nice peek into 1940s suburbia and attitudes. And this does a decent enough job of glamorizing college in the 40s. What really got me, though, are the performances. At the heart of this film is Herbert Marshall as the man who slowly thawed into a Casanova by the thought that he might lose his wife. The scene where he scientifically challenges a love rival into a drinking contest is brilliant. Your um, blood pressure. Normal? Normal. Uh -huh. Yes. 
Speaking not just idly, but scientifically, I can tell you that we would oxidize, you and I, about the same number of milligrams of alcohol per minute. The amount of scotch you could consume could not possibly exceed what I could consume by more than uh, three ounces. Look, Bud, probably you don't realize it, but that's like claiming to be Napoleon. Your opinion is hardly an answer to scientific proof. Would you like to back up this childish theory? I certainly would. But the main reason I fell so hard for this film is Susan Peters. Now, Susan Peters has one of the most tragic Hollywood stories you'll ever hear. If you're a classic movie aficionado, you'll no doubt know what I'm referring to. To put it briefly, a tragic accident left her disabled for the rest of her life just a few years after this film was made, and she died very, very young as a result. When you watch something like this, it only brings home what a horrifying turn of events that really was. She was so beautiful, so magnetic as a performer, and so, so talented. It's so sad. She's really funny here. She's whip-smart. She's drop-dead gorgeous. She's hilarious. She's so charming. I wish she'd had the opportunity to play more roles like this. The scene toward the end where she and her brother go to see the judge and the ensuing scene in court afterwards are so funny that even my 13-year-old daughter lost her mind from laughing. And that's another great thing about Young Ideas. The comedy is very fresh. It's not that slightly you-had-to-be-there kind of humor that you so often find when you watch movies of this age. This is very, very funny. The court scene at the end is absolute perfection. It's a masterclass in timing. So if you're in the market for a zippy, funny romantic comedy with a great cast and a breathtaking running time, then do search out Young Ideas from 1943. Really wonderful. So like me, I expect from time to time you run out of things to watch. So you scroll your way down through your unwatched movies, and even though you haven't seen them, there's something that's just not grabbing you. Well, such was the thrilling scenario in my lair last week. There I was, slave girls fanning me with palm leaves, feeding me grapes, while I flicked numbly through all the treats I own, and I saw a Joan Fontaine film there that I haven't watched before. A period film, turn of the century, big white dress, men's faces looking lovingly at her, Joan herself in full period drama romance costume drawing room flow. Meh, I thought. I love some Joan, but do I want to do this, or do I want to do something a little more thrilling, like watch The Brighton Strangler for the 115th time? No, Adam. This was actually the conversation I had out loud. No, Adam, get it watched. And so I pressed play, and within 10 seconds I was glued to the thing. Want to know why? No? Well, tough tentacles, because here's why. Because in the opening credits, it said, based on a book by Marie Belloc Lounge. And for anyone who doesn't know who that is, Marie Belloc Lounge was the author of The Lodger, the very story that Alfred Hitchcock translated into his first real thriller. So my attention was piqued, and then also by the cast list that includes not just Joan, but Herbert Marshall, Patrick Knowles, Cedric Hartwick, Lucille Watson, Sarah Allgood, Henry Stevenson, and Una O'Connor. I'll be honest, Una O'Connor was the clincher. And then I realized how wrong I'd been to judge this film by its cover, because what we have here is not some stuffy, talky costume romance, but an incredibly well-plotted, taut, pitch-black thriller about possibly the wickedest femme fatale in a black-and-white movie. This is Ivy from 1947. What I want to know, Mrs. Thorne, is whether there will be a change for the better in your life. There will be a great change in your life. Will it be soon? Very soon. Likewise, it's as well to be off with the old love before you're on with the new. There's going to be another man in my life? Yes. There's going to be another man in your life. Very few hours. I see. Yes, what do you see? That's all I can tell you. But you did see those nice things, didn't you? Yes, Mrs. Lexton. Thank you, Mrs. Thorne, thank you. You made me very, very happy. What is it, Matilda? What did you see? Misfortune. I saw terrible misfortune. Evil influences are gathering. (laughs) 
story begins simple but gets very complicated. Ivy, played by Joan, is the spendthrift wife of young Jervis Lexton, played by Richard Ney. She's happily spent them out of the social running, and despite their outward appearance of affluence, they are in fact as broke as a Brexit referendum outcome. To keep herself amused, Ivy's been having an affair with Dr. Greterix, played by Patrick Knowles, but what she really wants is to land some millionaire, and wouldn't you know it, the next man to fall at her feet is Miles Rushworth, played by Herbert Marshall. Ivy. Yes, Miles? I've always believed that the most despicable thing a man can do is to make love to another man's wife. I'm terribly ashamed. Rushworth is very smitten with Ivy, but his honour prevents him from romancing a wife away from her husband, and so he drops out of the race. But Ivy is determined to have him. Dear Jarvis, you're absolutely right. Huh? I do make a mess of things, don't I? Managing everything so badly. Oh, I wouldn't say that. No, but it's true. Nothing but troubles and extravagances and debtors. Oh, darling... Why don't you do the same thing and get a divorce? I said I'll never divorce you in a million years. But think how much better off you'd be. Bad luck just seems to follow me. You stir it up. <laughs> now, that setup describes the first quarter of the film. I could give you slightly more information, I think, without spoiling too much of what comes next. But I actually think it's better to leave it there and let you discover for yourself. This film floored me. I mean, I can't remember being so glued to a screen since the great airfix kit disaster of 1988. This is hypnotically directed by Sam Wood, who really seems to understand the gothic horror you can find in simple scenes, such as a lady coming down the stairs or the slow drawing of a blind across a window. He imbues the entire film with a really chilly sense of terror and builds to what I think is one of the most nail-bitingly tense and, dare I say it, horrifying climaxes I've seen in a long time. Now, when I say horrifying, I actually mean horror-infused, I think. I wouldn't want you to think that someone goes on a rampage and slashes the entire cast to ribbons. There's a musical motif that perks up through the film that is bone-rattlingly sinister. And when you hit that climax at the end, it suddenly starts playing in the most disorientatingly discordant way. It chills you to the bone. Never mind that it's accompanied by some ghoulish camera work and some nerve-shredding photography. I won't spoil it, as I say. Suffice to say that this is one of the best thrillers I've seen in a very long time. I'm so glad I didn't scroll past it. It just goes to show that even films from 72 years ago have the power sometimes to take you completely by surprise. Check out 1947's Ivy. Five stars. Now, nobody ever adapted the movie Ivy for radio, so no Lux Radio Theatre version, I'm afraid. However, the original book, The Story of Ivy, by Marie Belloc Lowndes, was adapted for radio by Suspense, starring Anne Richards and Norma Varden. Now, I have to say that they've adapted an entire novel into a half-hour radio show, so don't expect this version to give you the definitive take on the tale. But it is an interesting exercise in radio tension. So if you want to watch the film first and experience what I experienced, I would say avoid the radio play that's coming up. But if you're not that bothered, or if you know what happens in the film anyway, then listen on. So let's hear it, shall we? This is the story of Ivy, then, starring Anne Richards. So bite those nails and shuffle along to the edge of your seats as we join radio's outstanding theatre of thrills. See you afterwards. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you the story of Ivy by that high priestess of the art of suspense, Mary Bella Clowns, and starring the young actress whose performance you admired in the picture, An American Romance, Miss Anne Richards. Suspense is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you a remarkable tale of suspense. And with the story of Ivy and with the performance of Anne Richards as its extraordinary heroine, 
Roma Wines hope indeed to keep you in suspense. The story of Ivy. Ivy Lexton's own story is told to Victoria Matthews, an exclusive feature of the Morning Herald. I wrote it in the first person, Mrs. Lexton. I hope you don't mind. Oh, it doesn't matter, so long as the story is accurate. You can understand my anxiety, Miss Matthews. After all, I owe it to my public. Mm, yes, of course. Perhaps you'd like to read it through and make suggestions before signing the release? Oh, if it's not too much bother. On the contrary, hearing it in your own words would be a decided help to me. Very well, Miss Matthews. I'll read it out then. Are you comfortable? Would you like anything? A cigarette, perhaps? Oh, it's unfortunate that I have no maid here with me at present. Thank you. I'm quite comfortable. Please go ahead, Mrs. Lexton. Very well. Chapter One. I was born in Hobbs Court, Soho, and I was christened Ivy Gudge. I hated my name, and I hated the sordid surroundings into which I had been born. And while yet a child, I made up my mind that wealth and position should be mine at whatever cost. As a child, my favorite book was the story of Nell Gwynne, the commoner who became the favorite of a king. And one sentence of Nell's, in the face of all her success, made an indelible impression on me. It was this. In life, I have never sought anything that did not seem to have been placed in my hands by providence itself. At the close of my first season as an actress, our show was bankrupted by an embezzling manager, and I was left stranded in the provinces and stone broke. Many great gentlemen had shown me attentions and showered me with presents, but I sought assistance from none of them. And it was Jarvis Lexton, a young man whom I'd scarcely noticed, who came to me in my hour of need. Ivy, I know there are hundreds of men who adore you, men with titles, wealth, social position, much more than I can offer. But there's not one who loves you more than I do. Will you marry me, Ivy? And I said yes, because it was offered. We were frightfully happy that first year of our marriage, and Jarvis was so generous, humoring all my little whims, spending much more money on me than he could afford. It always gave him a thrill of boyish pleasure to see my portraits in the newspapers and magazines, with captions such as, The beautiful Mrs. Ivy Lexton, wearing Vionette's latest creation, or... Mrs. Jarvis Lexton at Ascot with Lady Hampton and Lord Rushworth. He kept a scrapbook of them and really seemed quite pleased about everything until one day. I say, Ivy, don't you think you're being seen and photographed a bit too much with this fellow Rushworth? Oh, but darling, I thought you liked having me hobnob with the peers of the realm. What about this other chap, Roderick Gresham? You know, it does seem a bit thick for me to work my head off 12 hours a day, figuring out ways to finance your clothes and jewels so you can be photographed with other men. It's got to stop in any case, Ivy. We're broke. Oh, you mean our money is all spent up? We're wiped out. The bailiff's attached my office furniture. I can't even pay the rental on this flat. What are we going to do, Jarvis? I'll let you figure that one out. You're so good at spending money, perhaps you can think of a way to make some. So you see, Jarvis really made the suggestion to me himself. I don't know what we'd have done during the next few months if it hadn't been for the generosity of Roger Gresham and Lord Rushworth. Roger was only a young doctor starting out in practice and couldn't help a great deal, of course, though he was even fonder of me than Miles Rushworth, now that I look back on it. It was in July that things took such a distressing turn. I'd been out to dinner with Roger Gresham, and I asked him up to the flat afterwards to say hello to Jarvis and cheer him up. Poor Jarvis hadn't been feeling well lately. Well, Ivy, this is a fine hour to come home to your loving husband. Where have you been? Out, darling. Aren't you going to say hello to Roger? I suppose I should thank him for keeping my wife amused. Oh, I, I say, old fellow. Roger has just been telling me the most fascinating things. He was called as an expert, you know, for the Crown and the Bronson case. I asked him to come up and tell you about it, darling, since you're such a detective fan. Well, that's nice of you, Roger. Do tell me all about the Bronson case. Well, uh, there was nothing so interesting about the murder itself. It was just a simple case of arsenic poisoning. You don't say. As, as a medical man, what interested me uh, about it was what a doctor ought to do in a case where he suspects a patient's being secretly poisoned. What would you do, Roger? Well, I... Uh, it's hard to say. If, if you called in the police and your suspicions turned out to be unfounded, but it would 
just about finish your career. I, I suppose that's why so many poisoners get away with it. <laughs> well, I... I guess I'd better be getting along. Drop in again sometime, Roger. And bring your own arsenic. Jarvis! Well, well cheerio. Ivy, see you later. Really, Jarvis, I've never been so humiliated. You know I don't like him. Why do you persist in bringing him here? Why, darling, I do believe you're jealous. Well, why shouldn't I be? I like it when you're jealous. It's like old times, isn't it? Do you deny that he's in love with you? And that you've encouraged him? Him and I don't know how many others? Oh, now, darling, don't be like that. There's only one other. You admit it. Well, darling, we may as well be realistic. We're still stony broke, and you don't seem to have any prospects. What are you driving at? Well, Miles got back in town today, and Who's I'm Miles? seeing him tomorrow night. Lord Rushworth, darling. No, oh, that titled idiot. That titled idiot has been paying the rent on this flat for the past six months, if you want to know the truth. Why, you little... Well, now, darling, can I help it if Miles Rushworth is awfully, awfully fond of me? And if it helps us, what's the difference? Go on. I'm listening. Darling, look. I'm just a burden to you at this stage, aren't I? So you want me to give you a divorce, is that it? Needn't make any difference between us, darling. As soon as I'm Lady Rushworth, I'll settle a nice allowance on you. Are you serious? Of course I'm serious, darling. Well, I don't play your rotten, filthy game. Jarvis! You married me for richer or poorer, and you're going to stick to your bargain. And if you try to divorce me, I'll make such a scandal your precious Lord Rushworth will wish he'd never met you. In fact, I have a notion to do it anyway. Oh, Jarvis, you wouldn't. That would spoil everything. Now, you're frightened, aren't you? Well, I'll give you your choice. Either you give up your boyfriends and keep me, or you'll lose all three of us. Which will it be? Well, well, all right, Jarvis. I'll tell Roger and Miles both. I can't see them again, ever. Why didn't you just ask me to kill myself? I might have obliged if you'd been more honest. Jarvis, you mustn't say such things. You're poison to me. I ought to let you go. I won't. If it's any satisfaction to you, I'd be better off dead than with things the way they are. <laughs> I simply can't go on seeing you. It isn't fair to Jarvis. Is he being fair to you? You don't understand. I'm all he has left now. You're so good. So innocent. Can't you see he's just holding on to you out of spite? Has he done one thing? Has he even tried to get a job so that he could support you? I married him for richer or poorer, until death do us part. Then I pray death be merciful to us both, Ivy. Oh, you mustn't say such things. It's wicked. I'm sorry, my dear. Ivy... I wanted to give you this little remembrance. I had hoped to give it to you under happier circumstances, but please accept it now as a farewell present. Oh, Lord Rushworth, you shouldn't have. It's only a little thing, a little handbag you admired so oh. much. We saw it in Cartier's window. Oh, Remember? the one with the emerald clasp. Oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, it must have cost a fortune. Look in the mirror. Oh. The emerald matches your eyes. You will accept it, won't you? Oh, Miles. I'll carry it with me always. Ivy, darling, come in, come in. Oh, I was just in the neighborhood, Roger, and I thought that yeah, I... Yeah, yeah, let me pick your things. I say. Oh, what a smart handbag. Mm, real emerald, isn't it? Yes, Miles gave it to me. Isn't it lovely? You know what it means, accepting a present like that from him. Oh, don't be silly, Roger. It was a farewell present. Farewell? Darling, do you really mean that? Roger, Roger, please, please. What if your housekeeper walked in? Oh, oh I'm sorry. Well, come along, darling. Come in here. I, I, I was just putting up a prescription. What a queer sort of room. I never knew a doctor's surgery looked like this. Weren't you ever in here before? No. What's in that bottle? Huh? Oh. oh, arsenic. I thought it was a poison. Well, it is. It's also a fine tonic taken in the right amounts. How much would it take to uh, kill someone? Oh, about the same amount as the amount of sugar it would take to sweeten your coffee. Oh, 
Doesn't it give you an eerie feeling? What? That little glass jar. There's death in it. Prison, waiting to escape. Oh. Aren't you being rather morbid? <laughs> Will you have one or two spoonfuls of death in your coffee, darling? <laughs> <laughs> I say, you are a little Borgia, darling. <laughs> oh, it's my patient now. Wait here, now. Shan't be a moment. As soon as he'd left the room, I picked up the glass jar on the end of the table, unscrewed the top of it, almost without being aware of what I was doing. How strange and exciting to know that death was in that jar, in those little white crystals. Then, as if some power outside myself had suddenly taken possession of me, I pressed the catch of that lovely jeweled handbag and commenced spooning out the white crystals. One, two, three... Sorry to be so long, darling. Oh. I had to listen to a recital of the colonel's symptoms. Oh, oh, oh that's all right. I, I was just fixing my makeup. I, I can't seem to find my lipstick. I say, old girl, you're looking rather pale. Perhaps I had better prescribe a tonic for you. Oh, no. I, I'm just a little tired, that's all. Hello. What is it, Roger? Oh, nothing. I, I could have sworn I put the cap back on the spot. Oh, well. On the bus, all the way back to Kensington, I kept wondering why I had done that funny thing. It seemed as if everyone was staring at me and at the little handbag with the emerald clasp. In a momentary surge of panic, I wondered if they'd guessed my secret. The little white crystals of death I had carried away with me. For what? For whom? Then of a sudden it came to me. Providence had placed in my hands the means of helping my poor, unhappy husband. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you as star Miss Anne Richards, whom you have heard in the first act of The Story of Ivy by Mrs. Bella Clowns, which is Roma Wines' presentation tonight of Suspense. Between the acts of suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Gracious hostess, Elsa Maxwell makes this timely suggestion. During the warm weather, I'd suggest you try America's smartest, coolest drink, refreshing Roma wine and soda. So simple and yet so charming. When the temperature soars, enjoy iced, thirst-quenching Roma wine and soda. Simply half-fill tall glasses with good Roma California Burgundy or Roma California Sauterne. Add ice cubes and sparkling water. A little sugar, if you wish. And for a decorative touch, garnish with cherries and slices of fruit. The secret of the flavorful goodness of Roma wine and soda is the distinguished Roma wine. Unvaryingly good, always high in quality of bouquet, brilliance, and taste. The result of selected grapes, slowly brought to perfection in California's choicest vineyards, carefully, unhurriedly, guided to flavorfulness by the ancient skill of Roma's famed wineries. Yet all this goodness is yours for only pennies a glass. Remember, because of uniformly fine quality at reasonable cost, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. And now Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Anne Richards, who continues the story of Ivy, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. My husband's illness lasted only a little more than a week. But to me, it seemed an intolerably long time. Thanks to the generosity of Lord Rushworth, I was able to have a nurse in to look after him. But I couldn't help wishing there was something more I could do for him. I'd used up nearly all of the poison I'd carried away that night from Roger's dispensary. But instead of the merciful death I had hoped it would bring, it seemed only to cause poor Jarvis to suffer more pain. There were only a few grains of the white crystals left in the bottom of the little handbag with the emerald clasp. And I hadn't the heart to go on with it. Besides, 
Jarvis doctor was commencing to ask too many questions. I decided to consult another physician. And under the circumstances, Roger Gresham seemed the wisest choice. Ivy, I came the moment I received your message. He's suffering so dreadfully, Roger. I hadn't any idea it would be so painful. You hadn't uh, any idea what? Oh, I, well, I, I mean, he complained of a stomachache and suddenly in the night... Where is he? I'll have a look at him. In here. This is Dr. Gresham, nurse. How do you do, Doctor? Jarvis, I've asked Roger to look at you. You don't mm. mind, do you, dear? Get him out of here. I've been poisoned. He's the one who poisoned me. Get him out of here. Poor boy. He's been that distracted, he has. I'll just prescribe a little sedative for him, nurse. I'll go and order up some tea, Roger. You will stay, won't you? Oh, yes. Yes, thanks. Oh, Mrs. Lexton, I was just looking for you. Dr. Berwick is waiting in the drawing room with another gentleman, Mum. I'll see what they want. Order up some tea, will you, dear? Well, uh, there you are, Mrs. Lexton. Uh, this is Inspector Orpington. Inspector? Of uh, Scotland Yard, ma'am. Oh. Uh, Dr. Berwick tells me he has reason to suspect that your husband is suffering from arsenic poisoning, uh, Miss Lexton. Well, I don't understand. Your husband keeps speaking of someone named uh, Roger Gresham. Uh, is that the name, Dr. Berwick? Uh, yes, yes. Why, that's Dr. Gresham. He's in there now with my mm, husband. Good Lord. Uh, come along, Inspector. Uh, you'd better wait here, Mrs. Lexton. Never until that moment had I realized how foolish my actions had been. Surely now they would suspect poor Roger. If there had only been someone to confide in. I felt so alone. I'll have your license for this question, do you hear me? But, but look here, Beric. Mrs. Lexton never told me there was another doctor on the case. Oh, is that true, Mrs. Lexton? Why, yes. Dr. Gresham is an old friend of mine, and I saw no harm in his looking in. Well, nevertheless, I shan't sign the death certificate, not till there's a post-mortem. Death certificate? I'm sorry, Mrs. Lexton. It's our painful duty to inform you that your husband has just passed away. Oh, good job! speaking? Roger, it's Ivy. Ivy? Why haven't you called me before? What's been happening? Oh, Roger, it's been such an ordeal you don't know. And that dreadful man, that inspector from Scotland Yard, has been here again asking questions. What kind of questions? Well, darling, I can't tell you everything over the telephone, but he said it was his duty to find out the truth. The truth about what? They found out that poor Jarvis died of arsenic poisoning. Suicide? The inspector says they know it was murder. What possible motive could I have? None, of course, darling. But I was silly enough to let out to the inspector that you had been, well, fond of me in a sort of way. Are you there, Roger? Yes. Yes, go on, Ivy. Well, the moment I said it, I saw what a mistake I'd made. But he spoke as if he already knew such a lot. Or at any rate, some part of it. Part of it. Well, that even if I didn't care for you, you had been very, very fond of me. Are you there, Roger? Yes. Yes, Ivy. Go on. What else? Well, he's certain to ask if I've ever been to see you at your house, I mean. Well, uh, of course, I said no. Are you still on the line, Roger? Well, you won't give me away, will you, Roger, darling? No. No, Ivy, don't worry. I won't give you away. Roger Gresham, the jury, after a careful and patient hearing, have found you guilty of the willful murder of Jarvis Lexton. The sentence of the court upon you is that you be taken from here to a lawful place of execution and that you be there hanged by the neck until you be dead. There, there, my dear. You mustn't give way like this. I can't help it, Miles. It's been such a shock. First poor job isn't now. Well, it's all over now. Look here, Ivy. Why not take a long voyage somewhere far away from here? 
The CM is marvellous for forgetting one's troubles. I make a fresh start somewhere. Uh, Rio, for instance. Oh, I've always wanted to see Rio. Perhaps we can go there for our honeymoon. Honeymoon? Are you thinking of remarrying? Why, Miles, darling, of course. Don't you remember what you said? If I were only free. Well, I'm free now. Ivy, I, I, I don't quite know what to say. I'm very fond of you, of course, and I'll badly lend you any financial assistance, but as for marriage, particularly under the circumstances, you must know there's been a great deal of talk about you and Gresham. Oh, surely you don't believe those stories. There's never been anyone but you, Miles. If I'd met you before I met Jarvis... We could never have been in any case, I will. Surely you realize that? I'm not good enough to be Lady Rushworth. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, too good, if you like. It's not my choice in any case. I was born with this name, and I, I have certain responsibilities. You... you stuffy snob! Well, I, I wish I could make you understand. There's my mother, for instance. She's an invalid, a heart, you know. And if I were to marry, well, you, I, I believe the shock would kill her. But the things you said, the present you gave me, what was I to think? Well, I'm sorry if you thought I was leading you on. The night that I gave you the bag... The emerald bag. You were saving it for the kiss-off, was that it? Well, that's rather a crude way of putting it. It matches the colour of your eyes, you said. And I said I'll carry it with me always. <laughs> Funny, isn't oh, it? Oh, Ivy, please, the servants. Don't you, Ivy, please me. I want them to hear. Perhaps the whole world will hear one day that Ivy Lexton poisoned her husband for Lord Rushworth. Ivy, what are you saying? Two lives weren't too much for Ivy to sacrifice, and the risk of her own life meant nothing. She wasn't good enough for the you, Lord. You... Dear, sweet little Ivy Lexton. Why, I can't believe it. Well, let me tell you something you can believe. I never loved you. I loved your money and the title. I wanted to be a lady. Oh, what a joke. Well, I'm not sorry. I've always hated your kind deep down inside of me. Cowards. Cowards, all of you. Anything to save face, anything. Roger Gresham going to the gallows because he's too much of a gentleman to tell the truth. That I was in his flat the night Jarvis was poisoned. You let an innocent man be hanged? If he'd loved me as he pretended to, he would have killed Jarvis. If he'd been a man instead of a gentleman. If any of your kind were real men. Well, I've had enough of it. Take your foul present. Pretty little thing, isn't it? A little handbag, and so expensive, too. The emerald matches my eyes, does it? Get out of here and take it with you. No, thank you. I'm not in the market for emeralds this season, my lord. They cost too dear. <laughs> We've analysed the residue in that handbag, Inspector. Oh, good, good. Uh, what did you find? Well, quite a lot of face powder, some tobacco crumbs, and about three grains of chemically pure arsenic. Leave it here. Sergeant, bring in Mrs. Lexton. Yes, sir. Bring in the prisoner. What's the meaning of this, Inspector? Please, please instruct your officers to treat me with respect. I'm not a common criminal. Let her go, officer. Thank you, Inspector. Mrs. Lexton, have you... Uh... Have you ever seen this handbag before? Oh, where did you get that? I'll ask you a question. Where did you get the arsenic that we found in it? I'm sure I don't know. Why don't you ask Lord Rushworth? My dear Mrs. Lexton, surely you know that Lord Rushworth is in no condition to answer questions. What do you mean? Lord Rushworth died last night of the effects of arsenic poisoning. <laughs> And so my story draws to a close. It's a comfort to me as I sit here in the condemned cell to know that so many loyal friends still believe in my innocence, in spite of all the ungentlemanly things the Crown Prosecutor said about me during my trial. I was especially gratified at the tribute paid to the costumes I wore in the witness box. One admirer has written to compliment me on my delivery and the poise I exhibited under cross-examination. I'm told that my remarks were clearly audible in the very back row of the spectator seats, in spite of the overcrowding. And on the final day of testimony, I received that greatest of all the tributes an actress can command. My audience was moved to tears. And so, in spite of all the misfortunes that have befallen me and my loved ones, I have at last realized my life's ambition. The end. Well, Mrs. Lexton... Does it meet with your approval? Well, I think you might point out that I killed Lord Rushworth, too. Of course, between you, you and me, my dear, I didn't 
It must have been suicide. But you know, it makes a better story. And uh, please print the photograph that was taken of me outside St. Paul's after my husband's funeral. That was the smartest frock I ever owned. I think that can be arranged, Mrs. Lexton. And uh, how much did you say your paper's going to pay for my story? Two hundred pounds. We thought that was quite generous. Well, it's not much, but it'll come in handy. They're hanging me next week, you know, and I haven't a thing to wear. And that was Anne Richards in the story of Ivy from Suspense Glorious. Do make sure you watch the film, though. It's absolutely excellent. Well, my fine people, I'll be on a slight break now to go and make the new Secret History episode. And I also want to do something a little bit special for the next Attaboy Clarence Singers How It's the 100th episode. Yes, my goodness, 100 episodes of Attaboy Clarence. So I think it'll be something special going to go away and think about that. So I'll be away for a little while. The bonus Attaboy Clarence shows will still be coming every fortnight. So if you just can't stand the absence, then do sign up to become a patron and you'll get regular shows delivered to you in the meantime. Also, this month's film club is very exciting. You have six classic horror movies to choose from and we're watching the winner of the vote at the end of April. Lots of other bonuses too. So if you'd like to sign up as a supporter, then I'd be immensely grateful to you. All you do is go to patreon.com slash attaboysecret. Takes about two minutes, and you'll have instant access to hundreds of hours of bonus content. And if you've forgotten that already, then fear not. You can either click the link in the show notes, or you can listen on to the end of this show for that web address again. Only remains for me to say thank you for joining me today. As always, I'll be back very soon with episode 100. But until then... Take very good care of yourselves, and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.